What's up, everybody? It's Dan from Binder Boneyard coming at you from the office. Um, sorry for missing the last couple of weeks um, out of town a few weeks ago. And then last week I came down with something. Um, we could all speculate what that might be, but I was sick. <laughs> and uh, it took a couple of days um, to even be able to get back out into the shop Um so now it's been it's been seven days since I got sick and um, getting better. Um, but uh, this episode might sound kind of choppy um, just because uh, I still cough every once in a while. So if I start coughing, uh, there's going to be some edits in here and it's probably going to sound weird. So anyway, um, thanks everybody for listening, uh, subscribing, telling a friend. Uh, please continue to do that. Um, I mean, all these episodes are free. So, you know, the least I could uh, ask you to do is to put the word out. Um, you know, believe it or not, mentioning it on Facebook or, you know, your own social media circles, it, it does help. Um, so, you know, any, any, Thing like that is it's helpful um, not just to help us grow um, which is the selfish side effect but also it just puts information out there for people that need it um, because there's a lot of misinformation um, you know uh, I don't really like that word uh, misinformation um, but you know it seems to be the word to use these days, but, um, no, a lot of, a lot of people say stuff that, uh, they don't know if it's true or not. They just regurgitate it because they read it on binder planet, you know, 18 years ago. And, uh, you know, and it's not necessarily the case. And I'm not saying that everything that I say is correct or, you know, like the gospel. I just know from my experience that, you know, uh, building a roll cage, on a muffler bender out of black iron pipe, not the most ideal way to do it. Uh, is it possible to build a roll cage that way? Yes. Have lots of people done it? Yes. Would I trust my life to it? No. So anyway, um, that's just one example of stuff I've seen floating around the internet lately. But, uh, but anyway, no, just, you know, thank you for, for putting it out there to everybody. And, uh, I really appreciate it. You know, if you do want to support us monetarily, we do have a Patreon page where you can jump over there and, uh, you know, donate a dollar or whatever. But, uh, yeah. So anyways, we're going to jump, uh, jump into this episode. It is going to be more story time. Um, I had a guy pass away a couple uh, weeks ago um, who was kind of a mentor. Um, very first guy that I knew that was any sort of mechanic, um, family friend. Um, so what I'm this this episode is just going to be some history and some shit like that. But uh, go way back so. 
if you don't know much about me, uh, I grew up on a small hog farm uh, in rural Western Oregon in the mountains. Um, my dad bought our 10 acres of timberland in uh, 1971 while he was a senior in high school for $8,000. It was undeveloped. Uh, it had a road pushed in uh, that was pit run gravel. Uh, pit run is like, uh, if you're not from a gravel state, uh, at least out here, pit run is like dinner plate size slabs of rock, uh, and chunks of, you know, bowling ball size rock. So not exactly, uh, the easiest to drive in on, but it was better than the mud and, uh, and you know, all that, that comes from pushing in a road in the, in the timberland. <clears throat> so, um, but on that road that we lived on, cause we lived at the end of it cause it was way out there. But, uh, there was a guy that lived along the way, maybe two miles from us on the, on the main road. And his name was Ron and Ron was a millwright at the sawmill in Malala. And, uh, my dad worked at that sawmill also. And, you know, like every high school kid, the mill, the mills, I should say, because, uh, we were timber town. Uh, I mean, timber was the industry for all of us in the, you know, Western cascades. And, uh, so there was Malala alone had like six sawmills and, uh, you know, for a tiny town, that's a lot of sawmills. So everybody and their brother worked at the sawmill at one time or another, which is how my dad was able to afford, uh, you know, like he bought a brand new, um, 68 Chevelle when he was a junior. Well, I guess it was a 69 Chevelle junior in, in high school be from working at the sawmill and uh, also selling hogs. Um, cause that's what he did when he was in high school is he raised a couple of hogs on the side and then, um, whatever worked at the mill. And then in 71 had enough for a down payment to buy the place. And then he also bought a GMC pickup, three quarter ton, four wheel drive pickup and all this stuff that when you're in high school, like a high schooler nowadays, could never dream of, of buying a brand new truck and property and, and all of that. But back in the late sixties, early seventies, you could, um, you know, there wasn't a lot to spend your money on otherwise. And, uh, so anyway, my dad worked at the sawmill and because he just bought the place, you know, we had to drive past Ron's every day. Well, I'll take it back. I wasn't born until 1979. So in the eight years between 71 and 79, my dad, uh, improved the property, built a cabin, had some electricity run in, had a well drilled, whatever. Uh, but he would, you know, talk to Ron all the time because my dad was not mechanical at all. My dad is a crescent wrench and some wire. And that's about it. Not a typical farmer. Um, you know, if anything was ever broken, he just bought a new one. 
because he was working at the sawmill. So, you know, there was income coming in no matter what. So we weren't dependent solely on the hogs. The hogs were just fun, you know, play money, uh, so to speak. So, um, he, anytime he had any kind of mechanical problem, you know, he talked to Ron, uh, because Ron was a millwright at the publisher sawmill, uh, it's RSG now, if anybody wants to look it up, but, uh, <clears throat> Ron being the typical millwright, uh, kind of rough, drank a ton, smoked a bunch. Um, but the nicest guy, <laughs> I mean, Ron was just one of those guys that, uh, you know, help you out however he could. Always had a dirty joke. Um, real nice. Uh, you know, just stuff like that. Um, but uh, anyway, so always kind of knew Ron. Drove past Ron's house every day. Um, you know, his son Tom was about 10 years older than me. So um, kind of saw Tom around. But, you know, just... Uh, Whatever. My dad would go over there and help Ron cut up firewood, um, help out where we could. Just just what you did. I mean, people lived on your street or on your road. Like all of the neighbors, we all knew each other because um, every once in a while, like uh, some of our hogs would get out and, you know, the neighbor would call and we'd have to go wrangle them up and whatever. <laughs> so, um, but we'll fast forward to 16-year-old um, me and... Uh, I bought my very first truck was a 1961 Ford unibody pickup and it had a Chevy 283 and uh four speed. And it was a two wheel drive truck, split ring wheels, bias ply tires, just, you know, pretty much a death trap. None of the wiring worked. Um, it had one of those aftermarket turn signal switches that, you know, uh, so when you stepped on the brakes, the front, uh, marker lights would come on along with the rear brake lights, like whoever had wired it would just, you know, scab it together. Uh, the heater didn't work. It just a bunch of shit. And, uh, so anyway, I got it home, started fiddling with it and being that it had a Chevy engine and Ron was a Chevy guy because Ron had a, 62 Impala that lived under a carport that was beautiful. And he drove a K20 pickup. Uh, and then he also had some other Chevys and stuff. So, um, Ron, uh, Ron was a Chevy guy. So whenever I had any kind of mechanical, whatever's about it, I would drive her down to Ron's and, and he would help me, you know, he taught me how to set points, uh, cause it, that was one of the first things that went wrong with it. When I started driving it regularly was the points ended up getting out of adjustment and, uh, being a old Chevy, it had the Delco distributor with the sight window. So you could just pop the old screwdriver in there and adjust the points, you know, set the dwell while it was running, <clears throat> which, uh, I wish you could do that with the Hollies on the internationals. But anyway, so, uh, you know, Ron helped me out there anytime I had trouble like that. Uh, some stuff he wouldn't, he didn't want to help. Like it needed a, my 69 Ford that I got later, uh, it needed a heater core and Ron wouldn't help me with that. 
And so <laughs> I, I think it's because it was a Ford all the way around. I, I don't know, but he, uh, he, uh, was a really nice guy. Um, I remember we had a big storm in like 96, the winter of 96. And he had one of these fir trees in his front pasture field. Cause Ron had a bunch of acreage. They used to have goats and sheep. Um, cause I think their kids did 4-H and stuff. I'm, I'm not hundred percent sure. He had a couple of daughters, uh, that again, were way older than me. So I don't remember them, but, uh, he had all this pasture that kind of stopped getting taken care of when the kids moved away. And, uh, but this big fir tree blew over and it was like one of these field trees where it had like a four foot stump but the tree was only 80 feet tall. And so it had a kajillion limbs and <laughs> the limbs were all, you know, four inches in diameter. They're just massive, massive limbs, a stubby tree, but it just, it was too big and it just blew over in one of the storms. So by then I was, this was senior in high school and uh, I had my own little side hustle going uh, selling firewood because in, oh man, 91, 90, 91, the spotted owl, uh, crisis hit Western Oregon and a lot of timber towns, they dried up and the sawmills shut down. And so my dad got laid off from the sawmill and now he'd worked there from 1968, 69 all the way until 1990. He was one of the last guys to get laid off because he had done everything at the mill. And so he was a versatile guy. So they kept him as long as they could, but eventually they laid him off while they restructured the sawmill. Cause one of my dad's last jobs at the mill was running a machine called a double Arbor edger, which was for, old growth logs it's for giant timber well they shut it down you know spotted owl lives in old growth so guess what no more old growth but my dad had to do what he had to do and he went to work falling timber for uh some logging and various logging outfits and um you know which falling timber is a very demanding job uh you know, especially Western Oregon trees are gigantic. Um, everything's on a hillside, nothing's flat, whatever. So the side effect of that was that my dad would sneak, uh, loads of firewood out <laughs> or sometimes he'd get permission, but, uh, you know, I would take my pickup in there and I would cut a cord of wood a weekend and then I'd sell it. And, uh, at the time, you know, a cord of, Firewoods bring in $110, $120, uh, which at the time is quite a bit because, uh, you know, a high school kid making a hundred bucks a weekend, that's, that's not terrible in 19, uh, I was, you know, like I said, 96, 97, uh, I was working part-time at the local gas station because here in Oregon, we have station attendants and I, they pay, you know, you pay to get paid to pump gas and whatever. So I was working part-time, uh, because of the labor laws, you, you know, high school kids, you could only work 
20 hours a week or something. So I was working at the gas station and then I was cutting firewood, selling firewood on the side also. Well, Ron had this big tree go down and he says, you know, Hey, you know, you cut this tree up, pile the limbs, you can have all the wood. So this thing had a massive, it was huge. Um, so I figured I was going to get probably eight cords out of it. So, it, you know, it made sense. So went up to Ron's and, uh, started limbing this thing up. I had my own little saw, um, and, uh, I was sloppy and I ended up cutting my leg with the chainsaw. I've been running saw since I was 10 years old. So, I mean, I've been handling it. For, so eight years at this point, I've been running chainsaw steady. Like, uh, there wasn't a week did not go by that. I wasn't running chainsaw. And so it wasn't like I was inexperienced and whatever. It was the, the other end I had gotten confident and cocky and wasn't paying attention and had just trimmed a cut a limb off and the tree started to settle because there was a lot of limbs holding it up. It was up off the ground and I cut it and the tree started to settle and I kind of um, got spooked a little bit and I stepped back and when I stepped back I lifted my leg up and right into the spinning chain hit me right on top of the knee. So, and it went all the way to the kneecap. Uh, it made a, <laughs> made a sweet divot in my kneecap. And, uh, yeah. So I shut this off and I walked back out to the, out of the pasture into Ron's shop and he's sitting on his stool watching TV. Like he always did. Cause he, by this point he was retired. He wasn't a millwright anymore. And there's blood pouring down my leg. And he was like, well, shit, I better call your dad. <laughs> and so I'm sitting there and I'm freaking the fuck out because, you know, I'm, I don't know if it's shock or disbelief or what. I'm afraid my dad's going to get pissed. You know, I'm, I'm, my dad used to beat the bejesus out of me when I was a kid. So whenever anything like that happens, I just would always flash back to, I was in trouble. No matter what, I was in trouble. So, you know, Ron's trying to, trying to clean it up. Cause I got like sawdust and moss and bar oil and everything else in this open wound on my leg. And he calls my dad, dad comes down and, uh, <laughs> we end up putting some band-aids on it to like pinch it together. And then he drives me to the hospital and they, uh, stitch up my leg and, and all that. But, uh, yeah, I never did go back, uh, cause of the time it took to recover and all that. I think one of Ron's, uh, Ron's kid ended up finishing cutting up that tree, but, uh, yeah, that was, uh, that was something that happened up at Ron's. But the thing about Ron was he, he had done so much. Like he knew a little bit about everything, being a millwright, you know, a little bit about wiring and iron work and fabrication and fixing stuff. And so if you know a millwright, you know that they don't always fix things the right way. They fix things to get it back 
into service. And so some of the stuff that he helped me with, I, you know, looking back at what I know now, I, uh, I cringe a little bit on, but at the time it got me back on the road and it got it, got it going. But, you know, he helped, uh, he helped out my whole family, all of uh, my uncles and aunts, everyone knew each other on that street. I think, I think Tom's kids and my, uh, younger aunt and uncles were about the same age. So, um, you know, everyone just kind of knew each other and, and Ron was always a good go-to, go-to guide. And he, Ron also introduced me to this place called Harbor Freight. And, uh, oh, what was the other thing? Oh, JC Whitney. I had no, I had never heard of JC Whitney until Ron gave me this catalog that was like the phone book and it had all this stuff in it. And I, I mean, I'm 18, 17 years old. I had no idea what any of this stuff is, you know? I just knew that you could buy gasket kits for your DeSoto and whatever was in this JC Whitney catalog. And, uh, and so I would go over to Ron's, like I would just kill time at Ron's watching Matlock and whatever else. Cause he drank so much. Like he was one of those guys that would drink a 30 pack of Keystone light every day. And he always tuned it up with a little bit of Tabasco uh, and then some salty dump in there. Drink this, drink skis dub. He'd always offer me a beer. I'm like, I never did. I never drank with him just because uh, I was always afraid of driving home or have my dad yell at me because my dad was super um, anti um drinking and drugs and that kind of stuff. So I just, uh, never did, but man, he drank a ton and he smoked, smoked a bunch and he always smoked, uh, Paul malls, always had Paul malls, cases of Paul malls, which I can't believe. Cause like I said, he just died a few weeks ago. He should have been dead years ago. For as much as he drank and as much as he smoked, he, I don't know how he lived so long. I really don't. And it's not like he was in the greatest shape. Uh, you know, just an old guy sat on the stool and watched TV, little black and white TV on top of a refrigerator in his shop. And he'd just sit in a bar stool. It was a, it was a stool with a back on it. But uh, he'd sit there and if anybody came over, there was like a, um, a lounge chair. I don't know how to describe it. It was on wheels. It'd be like from a, I don't know if anybody remembers this, but like bars and taverns in the seventies would have these big U shaped high back pleated fake leather chairs. And they were usually, you know, four wheels on them and you rolled around and just big, gaudy things well he had one of those in there for a while uh that was by the wood stove um because yes of course the shop had a wood stove and uh so yeah you'd, you know sit in that and watch whatever was on tv which wasn't much we didn't have shit for service uh for phone for phone jesus for tv signal out there um you know, the nineties, we were still on rabbit ears and 
and whatever, you know, the three channels were. And uh, I think there were four channels. But uh, yeah, so Ron, he just, I just learned a lot from him about basic mechanics and the understanding of, of mechanical things. Um, you know, things that my dad could never teach me because he just didn't know. Like, like I said, my dad was not mechanical at all. And my dad parked a truck one time because the radiator, it got a hole in it. And instead of just replace the radiator, he went and bought another truck. Like, I, I don't know. I, I still, I cannot wrap my head around some of the stuff my dad did back then, uh, just because, and, uh, and, you know, I think Ron and some other people also wondered the same thing because I remember them offering to come over and like help fix stuff. My dad would turn them down, but, uh, yeah, you know, just Ron, the, the stories he told about when he was a kid and how he had like a 55 Chevy car and they had cut a hole in the, um, oh, whatever, what's that? Like the flat spot below the back window, between the back window and the back seat. Um, I can't remember what that space is called. There's usually like speakers or something there now in a new car, but they'd cut a hole and they made a spring loaded door so that when they were drinking and driving, the, you could put the beer cans, you just popped them through this trap door and then it would close again. And then all your beer cans would end up in the trunk. So if you got pulled over, there were no cans in the car. It was all, or, you know, no cans visible. They were all in the trunk. Like that was his proudest, <laughs> one of his proudest moments. Uh, they created this trap door beer can hider and, uh, uh, I don't know. You know, he was also, Ron was a, uh, one of the seatbelt deniers. Uh, uh, he was, one of his daughters wrecked a 61 Impala and she had fallen asleep and uh, slumped over to the side and, and like fully laid over on, on across the bench seat in this car. I think it was a bench seat and she hit a telephone pole head on at like 50 and, uh, completely totaled the car. I mean, it messed her up pretty good, but he swears that if she had been wearing her seatbelt, she wouldn't have flopped over and the steering column went right through the seat. Like she would have been impaled by the column and he swore that her not wearing a seatbelt is what saved her life. And he was a anti seatbelt guy. Uh, at least that's what I remember at the time. Um, there was another thing. Oh, <laughs> the hundred mile carburetor. If anybody's ever heard of that wives tale, uh, Ron claims his, the 63 Impala that he had, that was in the carport. Um, he claims had, a carburetor on it that he was getting like 80 miles to the gallon or something. And he got a letter from the local Chevy dealer that the car had to come back in for some 
tune up or some improvement and he took it in and when he picked it back up, he said the best he could ever get with it after that was like 16 miles to the gallon. And he went back to the dealer and asked him what the hell they did. And they swore up and down that he was crazy and that they didn't touch anything and that there's no way that he could have got 80 miles to the gallon and all this stuff. And, uh, you know, and again, to that day, he, as long as I knew he vowed that he had one of those carburetors and, and uh, it could be drunk talk. It, it's hard to say. I mean, these guys, when they get, 20 or 30 beers and then they start to start to tell stories. But, uh, but no, um, Ron was great. Uh, definitely one of the old timers, you know, the last of his kind for sure. Um, kind of regret not seeing him more as I got older, you know, when I turned, well, I mean, when I turned 18 or when I graduated high school, I immediately moved out and moved away because I, my dad and I didn't get along and I couldn't be on the farm anymore. So, um, ended up moving away. And then when I did go back to the farm, you know, it was usually a special trip. Um, and I didn't have time to just visit everybody along the way. And then, you know, with time, things change, people change, stuff happens you know, you become a little, at least I became, what's the word? Disenchanted, uh, maybe, uh, disenfranchised with, you know, cause things weren't the same and people were moving away and a lot of the neighbors had changed and moved and they were new neighbors and different stuff. And it wasn't the same anymore. And the memories were, were different and, you know, it was uh, less, it, it just, you know, I wanted to be there less and less, but, you know, I really probably should have stopped and talked to Ron more often. Uh, I did talk to Tom, his son, occasionally I'd run into him in town. We talk and catch up. So I'd like to think that, you know, maybe he talked to Ron a little bit, uh, but yeah. So anyway, that was a, a brief glimpse into, uh, the early years and, uh, and, uh, my experience with Ron Gangler. So, uh, they haven't had a funeral yet. I've been watching, uh, uh trying to get a hold of someone who knows, but, uh, um, yeah. So that was my, my dealings with Ron Gangler and, uh, you know, very important. So anyway, thank you for sitting through all that. Uh, hopefully it, wasn't too terrible, but, uh, you know, if you know somebody like that, make sure you go say hi to him every once in a while. So till next time, I'm Dan, Binder Boneyard. <laughs>